I'm Ece Özdemiroğlu. I'm Sabina Apets. And I'm Jill Duggan. Welcome to season two of Join the Dots. We've spent our careers giving advice on the environment and learned that choices are never straightforward. But working through the complexity is rewarding. Here in each episode, we explore the issues surrounding an everyday choice to help you decide what's best for your health, wallet and our planet. You can find more information about this and other episodes on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com. And we'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. This is the recording of second episode on war in Ukraine and its human and environmental impacts. And I'm joined again by Ala Jungman. Hello, Ala. Nice to see you again, although we both wished not to be speaking about mm. this a second time. But we first met in February, I think late February, quite early on yeah. in this terrible chapter in, in your country's history, hopefully soon to end. But at the time, actually, we were questioning ourselves whether it was right to be speaking about environment and environmental impacts of war when it was so, so early and all the media coverage was about, rightly, about human suffering. But you actually made the point in that in that conversation that we can't separate people and environment. We're part of nature and any negative impact we have on nature and war has many devastating impacts is going to affect us. It's not that we don't value people that we want to talk about nature, but we want to bring this into the long list of terrible things war brings us. So how have you been since late February? How have you been Coping, really, that's the word from being away and worrying about things. How are things? Hi, Chin. Nice to see you again and uh, talk to you. And yeah, I wish the circumstances would be different for both of us. And I hope soon we will be able to connect for better causes, like rebuilding Ukraine, for example, and renovating our environment. As, as, as uh, everyone who has any connection or relatives in Ukraine, friends, I've been worried all this time to death and connecting with my friends a few times a day just to, to check on them, where they are, what they're doing. Worried about my parents, whom I persuaded to move away uh, in the middle of March. Um, so they're now safe and at least a bit easier for me. So I don't expect now to hear news that they're trapped or dead in their their apartment building that was randomly bombed by Russian army or uh, airplanes. So this this gives some peace, but also a lot, a lot, a lot of other issues that constantly keep me busy, engaged. So many people lost their jobs, and uh, there is no means for for their stay, for for their to cover their basic needs in Ukraine. So I've been trying to help some friends and also. Uh, send some money that they can buy food uh, for elderly people uh, or at least deliver, help to deliver some food to people in need uh, who who can't actually work, work on their own and uh, also um, some some 
friends of mine are going to, they are now already on the front line, but then they were requiring some equipment. So we would try to organize that as well, because really we, we nobody planned, nobody expected this. Even, even all intelligence sources would start saying uh, in January, but people still in, in, in deep in disbelief. I, mm. I think now they kind of come into to some understanding uh, what, 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 yeah, where we are, like what, what the scale and this is for, for long term to cope with. Even if the war will stop right now, the, the damage, uh, to reverse this damage will take many, many years. You've been telling me before we started recording that the amongst all these things that the immediate impact and survival that the sort of government organizations need to deal with they also work on nature and environmental impacts and then and that you guys outside are trying to help them can you tell us a little bit about what kind of things the government is doing the minister of environment leads pretty active work on uh, first recording all that mm-hmm. are done by by the war so if there is any oil storage bomb so they record the volume where when it happened so if there is any attack plants that they keep chemicals or have some chemicals mm. on their side. So they also record, they even like register the level of pollution and inform citizens in the near environment about the danger and what action needs to be taken. So the ministry keep very active record of all this. And there is a plan to make Russia accountable for, for this and like they, they, to, to make them pay for this devastating damages they made to our infrastructure, to our life of people and also to the environment. So there are some forest fires as well around Kiev. There are dry, dry areas, so the, the and of course, all this causes unexpected fires, and they 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 are all all well noted. And mm-hmm. about immediate danger, the 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 Minister of Environment and the regional offices of Minister of Environment they keep informed people, Good. and also they are very active participating in environmental whatever obligations Ukraine took signed the convention agreement they're represented in every meeting yeah so online mostly online of course but I think now most of the meetings still online right so yeah. and all people who somehow related to Minister of Environment or I mean to, to these causes they support providing information connecting but uh, some areas they are out of control right now as i mentioned for example our biggest nature reserve that is part of biosphere nature reserves network is in the southern ukraine kherson region and it's now occupied by russia so we have no information if the forage is enough they kept a few big group of animals, large animals like bisons, zebras, Zhevalskis, horses, and they usually store food for winter in a big, big amount. So they have like covered spaces. And now it's not clear um, what the situation there and if they will be able to prepare them for the winter. 
Mm. And of course, as I mentioned, there are some uh, Ramsar sites in that southern part of Ukraine, yeah, wetlands, and they're part of Ramsar network. And also Emerald Network, it's part of the Bern Convention, uh, so the sites with conservation interest. So they're, they're mostly concentrated on the southern Ukraine and uh, eastern Ukraine as well. So the migratory routes, they actually go through like, the southern part, eastern part, and like to Caucasus or northern Russia. Mm-hmm. And they're now like under active uh, military attacks. So I, I don't know how the, the birds be able to pass. I mean, because they usually stop uh, on the way to feed themselves like for a week or two. And they, they usually like feed in the fields that under active agricultural cultivation. So they usually stay there. I, I, I know this because I was working on the largest wind mm, farm development yeah. in that part of Ukraine. So I kind of we, we monitored the birds' yeah. migration, like um, seasonal migration, and then um, feeding migrations. So I have no idea what's going on there. Yeah. Like if, if they able to pass, if they're able to breed. It's I guess really we'll see in a, in a few weeks or months' time when they don't turn up where they're supposed to turn up. And that's another thing, isn't it? Because it's not one impact in isolation. Those birds are probably short in number and they're yeah, probably yeah, under yeah. pressure and wherever they winter and wherever they summer and also now en route. So it's not the impact of war is not just where it's happening, it's everywhere else, but also it might exacerbate the impacts elsewhere. So we sometimes forget this sort of chain of impacts that nature doesn't have political boundaries and we are affecting each other intentionally or or unintentionally. Uh, Ukraine keeps some active monitoring stations uh, in that area, Mm -hmm. but now they're also like uh, under occupation, so there were a few regular viewpoints, so they count these birds every year on mm. uh, through their migratory migratory route. So I don't know, and, and many of them, they're nesting there, and also like raptor birds, they mostly also winter in there, like some, some owls, some eagles, so they actually nest in there as well and wintering. So it, it's just devastating to think about what what the, their ripple effect can be from all this active military action that there are in the area and yeah also like as you said we will see it probably in the autumn if they manage to survive or multiply numbers but I, I I'm, unfortunately I'm not aware how good monitoring system for example in northern African countries for those birds so I don't know if probably will lost a lot of data. Allah, I mean, hearing you talk about migratory birds, some people might think, oh my God, you know, people are dying and they're losing their livelihoods and, you know, do we really need to talk about birds? But in addition to the whole, like, we are part of the nature, birds are there for a reason, they're doing stuff for us that we're not even aware. But I want to share something with you and our listeners that's nothing to do with the war in Ukraine. I saw this, and and we can share the link in in our website, but I saw this data visualization, which was showing in the South Pacific the shipping routes, Mm -hmm. the big ships, like super tankers and big ships, with kind of brown lines going around 
really busy, <laughs> busy, busy route. And one blue dot that showed a whale, a tagged whale, trying to make its way up and down the Pacific, trying to avoid the super tankers. And it was like, you know, an old school computer game, lots of dots going everywhere and this blue dot trying mm. to find a way through and keep crashing against the, the brown dots of the ships. And I watched that and someone shared this on LinkedIn the other day and was saying, you know, can you, it's a data, data visualization person shared it in a kind of quite cold-hearted way in some ways, like just like, look what we can show and was seeking in comments some insights. And I, I thought, I don't know about insights, but it made me feel really sad that how we are using the world, and I'm not saying we shouldn't use the world, I'm not saying we shouldn't have ships going around in the sea, um, but it's almost trapping this wild animal. Like can't you can see from that visualization, can't find a way out. And regardless of how I benefit from those movements of the ship, I didn't want to be part of that. I don't want to be part of this species that actually traps another, just one single member of another species. It felt really sad. Anyway, I've just saw it this morning. Um, it's very fresh with me. So it is important. We do need to think about migratory birds and our impacts on them. Talking about the whales, uh, like the ripple effect of this war will be that it looks like the European Union will have to ship uh, gas and oil from the mm -hmm, US. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, uh, the blue dot will have even more troubles to get up there and then yes. back down. That's and, very true. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that when I started this this example, but you're right. It was announced yesterday, or was it today, that saying they want to ban importing Russian oil into the EU as soon as and, possible. And, and yeah, you said several times you reiterated that we are here because of environment, and we're talking about the environment. But really, this is we people who make these choices and impact the environment in this way, right? As soon more as shipping. We, like, yeah, yeah, more shipping, like goods, I don't know, new T-shirt from, from, like, I'm now in the United States, okay, I want a new T-shirt uh, to come from, I don't know, Paris. So I just part part of this problem and another ship will go to, to the U.S. just to bring my T-shirt. Yeah, so it's our choice and... We, we we need to 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 really like think and probably exclude some unnecessary things that yeah but but recently I've been thinking more and more like really like why I mean that's not what makes us happier or we're told we're told some of those yeah. things will make us happier so we're buying buying that dream <laughs> yeah yeah exactly now many people who flee Ukraine. Oh, so it's now estimated five, I think, 0.5 million people. And I, I signed up for several groups on the Facebook, Sweden and the UK, in, in I think, just to, to see what people are looking at, how they organize themselves, follow several, several groups. And I just see that people kind of 
how little we appreciated what we had. Like mm. we miss our home so much, and we had so much there. Like I, I didn't dream to come to Paris. I didn't dream to come to to Stockholm. I mean, maybe for one week as a, my my mm. trip. Even though then, I mean, had everything at home. Just like. 100, 100 meters away, I just could walk and spend really nice time in the, in the park with my family and friends. So, yeah, we just we have so much things around. Yeah, we hear it time and again, but we still value things once we start to lose or lose them completely, yeah. unfortunately. And I think the reason you, me and several others are working in the environmental issue. And we don't always want to be talking about doom and gloom scenarios, but, you know, that you can see some stuff is coming down the road. So yeah. it's, it's worth remembering. It's worth actually just know what could go wrong to appreciate what we already have. And I think also what we've already done, I mean, we talked about if EU doesn't buy oil from Russia, you'll have to ship it from US or other sources. In the meantime, we also caused lots of environmental impact building pipelines and loads of environmental impact, you know, shipping things on the road or or rail. Like all that investment is, we, we would say, economists would say, oh, they're sunken costs. You don't, you know, once you spend the money, you don't worry about it. It's gone. But actually the impact is there. It's not gone. It's the impact of all that is there. For the energy as well, it's lots more people uh, this is just to let you know, in the UK, we've been saying more and more, we have to reduce our dependence on oil, if nothing else, for to be able to not be so dependent on oil providers, because they could and turn, technologies turn are there. against. I mean, exactly. they've been there for a long time. When I started in 2006, in 2006, we had already, um, we, we had one of the speakers, the, the, our course invited a lot of speakers like you, for example, you came and taught us on cost-benefit analysis. We had other uh, um, speakers, it was very applied course, and we had a speaker from that that bad project, I don't remember, it's like zero emission, uh, super efficient, bad that, yes, bad that housing project. Zero emission I actually, housing I, I got in touch uh, with the present and I went uh, visiting it. And it was built like in 2002, something like that, like in the beginning. Of t so the technology are around yeah, for more yeah. than two decades. Yeah, Instead absolutely. of like investing into like fossils, can can you imagine in twenty years, yeah, where our housing would be if we invest and direct the money in the, for the right uh, cows? But because it was kind of you know easier, the 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 way was clear. Why to invest in uh, research and development if we already have some some path? which is known. And, and I there's think more money to be made our, like, by certain yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. Be because it's known, right? It's kind of proven technology. And yeah, yeah you just...
But there was also policies in place in in UK at least. I mean that zero emission housing estate was one, but also generally there was a policy out to insulate homes. It wasn't obviously the driver for that was partly climate change, partly fuel poverty, partly because the building stock is generally very old and very drafty. Yeah. Anyone who's coming from outside UK to live, we know how bad the windows are. But they stopped the policy. I think there's a guy called Tom Burke who works in these areas who's a mm. opinion leader and he's this is what he keeps saying and, and I'll put a link to one of his videos for this podcast but he was saying if that policy bef- that was in place I think before 2010 was in place we could have insulated m- millions of homes we could have reduced our need for gas for heating significantly uh, and therefore our dependence to to outside sources or even domestic sources because now another conversation in UK of course is like why don't we develop our own fossil fuels but it's just sort of betting on a lame horse really exactly. it is time as you say there is it's technology there's a different again. future losing time again talking about time i want to before we break i want to ask you about another impact that actually to my knowledge you raised first and it was about the importance of Ukraine as a food supplier to the rest of the world and and actually before I heard it on the media as I said I heard it from you back in February that war is going to help the harvesting and cropping and agricultural cycles and now I've been in Turkey for a few weeks there's a lot of political discussion here because Turkey obviously used to be a very heavily agricultural domestic production country but over the last 20 years it started to import a lot of its grains actually and there's all all political discussions about how do we find ourselves in this place yeah. where such a, a historically agricultural country is now worrying about what's happening in Ukraine because they used to import so much grain so globalization maybe wasn't that good in everywhere but do you have any updates for for us on the agricultural impacts and what's happening? Of course, probably we'll have issues, yeah, for itself as well. So, like now, Russian army actually took even what we had in our storages in the eastern and southern part. So they shipped away a lot, like five, I think, yeah, five million. In tons, I can I can check the number and uh, recent number, and I think we we are planting where we can. But the problem that uh, a lot of areas, for example, around Kiev, they used cluster bombs, so the territory covered with mines. So even when someone dare to go into the field with the tractor, there are a few cases already when. They were basically blown. Their, their people blown up. Uh, were killed. Yeah, blown up. So I think the eastern part of Ukraine will stay un- uncultivated yes. this year. So I I don't yeah. know. Like if yeah, we probably will be able to produce a bit of excess amount. And now they're uh, discussing how they can provide, but but our also like ports are blocked, so we can't deliver it anywhere. So the Black Sea is closed, our ports under attack, so I don't think we can mm. 
guarantee to anyone delivery of any food from Ukraine. There are some negotiations to be able to transport it via Poland or Baltic state. I, I don't know how that will be developing. And uh, I, I listen uh, on a regular basis to the daily podcast. There were, like, at the end of April, I think it was a program there where they discussed this uh, food shortage mm-hmm. uh, that is coming. And it's very serious because uh, apparently, I, I was not aware about that, like, Brazil is one of the largest food producers as well. And apparently, uh, they use a lot of fertilizers, and mostly from Russia. And now, their their main concern that the fertilizers, because of their sanctions that are imposed, mm. so they won't be able to buy the, those fertilizers and even deliver to Brazil. So it's kind of you know ripple effect is so the the the. People who are most in need, they will, yeah. they will be really seriously hurt. And uh, on that podcast, actually, they uh, mentioned that uh, Ukraine actually was supplying. So the UN mostly bought wheat and cro- uh, other grain crops from Ukraine, mostly for humanitarian needs. Mm. So basically, like grain in Yemen are from Ukraine, grain in Syria are from Ukraine. So this is kind of can, can you imagine the, the the scale we're talking about in this case? So the hungry people will be starving. I think quite early on in the war, I've heard an interview with the UN Food Programs chief and saying that he's already having to cut rations to people that the program feeds because they have to feed more people now and they may not get food in future or it'll be very expensive. Of course, for Brazilian producers, the cost of fertilizers will go up and things like this are are revealing to us how complex the global supply chains are, right? So the fertilizer is going from Russia to Brazil. Brazil is growing soya beans that are coming to UK and other European countries to feed cattle so we can eat red meat. I mean... Obviously, Brazil produces other things and meat itself, meat included. But we're going around the world several times to be able to, one of us, to eat a a piece of steak every now and then, hopefully not even all the time. So it's worth bearing in mind, and that's all the brown dots in that visualization that I have seen. Ships full of fertilizers and soya beans and and as well as the produced goods and the t-shirts as as you gave the examples. And and I think COVID kind of started this this process and I think the the scale of the war in Ukraine just reinforces that we should think about localizing some uh, parts of uh, supply chain and value chain, like think where possible and mostly focus on technology transfer. Because when we say produce and eat locally, produce locally, other things, we're not talking about the opposite of globalization necessarily. We're not saying we must all yeah. close our borders, look inwards, fear the others, fear other countries. Yes. That's that's not yes. what we're talking yeah. about. We're actually almost produce local for the benefit of everyone else as well. Because exactly. The, exactly. all these emissions, all this damage is affecting everyone, not just not yes. just us or yes. not exactly. just the 
the person who yeah. we're talking yeah, on stay behalf open. Of. For for me, I mean, one of the like the most tragic impact that this um, mm-hmm. war has has on me. It's like revelation that the the Europe kind of the European countries. I looked up at them in terms of technology. You know, and they kind of turned their back and started to develop and buy this uh, gas and uh, like look backwards. For me, it's more like devastating. I mean, like in the beginning of nineties, was when I I I'm probably <laughs> should should go back a little bit. So in in Soviet times, all books were in Russian, and even if some Western books were uh, in mm. use, they were translated, of course, right? And when I started uh, university and like my high school in 1993, so we still had Soviet books, sure. and the, their country was in bad shape, and it took them a while to pick up on bringing like new research, new ideas in Ukraine. So back then I understood that I need to learn English because I want to be abreast with what's going on in uh, technological development because we can't uh, continue living like this with this obsolete Soviet time plants that pollute environment, that consume a lot of resources. So, like in the beginning of nineties, I started to look uh, to the west, and like from my my experience, the technologies were there, like wind wind turbines, right? They already were nineties, like solar, um, and and for me it was obvious choice. I mean, why to continue investing in oil, gas, and all this uh, stuff if we have already something to develop to think about yeah like disappointed yeah, you're so disappointed kind of, what you looked so up to didn't like, turn up why why like mm. so much time wasted and why we are ukraine is now paying such a high price for what can be easily avoided and partially i think the war started because of that because russia saw that we are and europe kind of not uh, trying to avoid, I mean, there are some corrupt, I don't know, corrupt or old-minded, with old mindset people, but my generation and younger, they're, they're looking to the future into new, new technologies that are really available for a long time, like for three decades at least. And just, just uh, in some incentives uh, for investment into that technologies, could we could be in a different position right now? Yeah, yeah, in completely different. And and now, like you know, Ukraine added so much to our energy mix of renewable energy generations. So we we probably added like uh, several gigawatts. Of wind and solar, so we we added so much renewable uh, energy, and most of them are in the southern Ukraine. So now, of course, we do not control the territory, and I think they they were seen like a threat. All these recent developments in Ukraine. Yeah, we we talked last time, right? That I I saw the positive changes, and I saw their positive changes, uh, and I hope. We'll, they will persist and heal up after this conflict. Even the price we're paying is tremendous and heartbreaking and 
really like devastating to think about that my classmates and their children now have to be on the front line and expect some bad news, but I'm sure Ukraine will sustain and persevere and will prosper. I'm really happy that our Western neighbors now realizing that and also making necessary steps to change their policies and provide necessary incentives to put us all in a better place in their next five years. Hope. Thank you. Despite of the price Ukraine is paying right now in terms of human resources, infrastructure, nature, I'm glad to see that our Western partners understand the situation and they provide support and sure that Ukraine will prosper and all together we will build new sustainable Ukraine, Europe and we will be in better place in five years altogether. That's a very, very positive and hopeful place to end um, this conversation. I hope next time we speak, we'll be on better news, covering better, better news as well. Yeah, I um, hope. But thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for giving us more insights. And I wish you, your family and friends and everyone back thank in you, Ukraine too. the best. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the rest of the team, Neil McCune and Anna Gunn. You can find more information about this and other episodes on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com. And we'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. <laughs>